update on my future, chaos around the world, and three unique and different conversations. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze, where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. We have a jam-packed show for you today, but I want to start off the, the show by talking to you about a personal decision and some changes I've made. Um, I've been talking about this on social media this week, but in case you missed it, I wanted to talk to you about my future. Those that you are long-term listeners know that I've been trying to get into your country for 15 years now, longer than 15 years. I was really lucky as a kid. I fell in love with your amazing nation. I was really fortunate when, when air travel wasn't a thing. I was able to visit your country as a young child and... I fell in love with your country. I fell in love. You know, I've shared this story many times. You know, if you think of a you know typical Irish boy who never really left his country, you know, it's wet, it's miserable, you know, it's kind of dull and boring, it's small. And then you put that same Irish boy in, you know, in Clearwater, Florida, where you have heat, you have sun, you have palm trees, you have different foods, different cultures, different races, different sports, beautiful women. You know, I fell in love with your country. Um, I fell in love with your people. Your people are so amazing. Your people are so optimistic in general. There's always going to be idiots and morons, and that's just the way it is. But, you know, as a general rule, your people are more open, more, you know, looking for prosperity, more open to advancement than other nations. I've used this example as well in the past where... I've spoken about, you know, 1963, where you have the Democratic president, JFK, standing up and giving a speech where he says, by the end of this decade, we will go to the moon. That inspired Americans. That really did. That really spoke to every, a lot of Americans were like, yeah, we're going to, we'll go to the moon. You know, you, you envisage how other people in the 60s and other countries would have responded to the exact same speech. They would have said, you're crazy. You would have said, you're setting us up for failure. You would have had people saying, well, what about other causes? What about this? Why can't we do this first? This is more important. This is more pressing. Your people were like, yeah, we're going to do it. We are going to do it. And you all did it. And then I fell in love with your principles, which we'll come back to in a few minutes. But ever since I became an adult, I was like, I want to be there. And literally for my whole life, my whole life has been, I just want to get there. Because... I have always been the black sheep or the person who never really belongs where I am. I'm not, I don't have a bad by any stretch of the imagination. I am blessed to have this show. I'm blessed to, you know, have many friends online. My online family all are amazing. I'm blessed with, you know, my mother. I'm blessed with a house. I'm now blessed with a full-time job, even though I'm out sick, but I'm blessed with a full-time job. 
you know, by most accounts of the history of the world, I have it pretty comfortable. Do I, am I rich? No. Do I have much money? No. But all that stuff is kind of irrelevant. But my whole life is in, if I get to America, that is when my real life will start. That's where I'll finally be home. And I worked and I scratched and I clawed to get there. I tried to get there because that was my dream. I've had a lot of ups and downs along the way over those 15 years. I've come pretty close to it on different occasions. You know, if you're a long-term listener, you know, I came very close a couple of years ago when Glenn Beck offered me a job in Texas, working for him directly as a researcher. The job, if you know anything about me, I would have loved doing, and I think I could have added something to him and his network. Sadly, when we went met with lawyers, we were told, yeah, look, you don't have a degree, you don't have any paid work experience, you may have voluntary work experience, you may be able to prove you know what you're going to be talking about, but you don't have any paid work experience. So we went through the, the ebbs and flows, and that really nearly killed me. And then this year I said to you, I have a new plan. I'm going to become, go over on a volunteer visa. And when I was there in February, I officially applied for one, but things seem to have fallen through. I don't want to get into the details because they're kind of irrelevant. But long story short, that's not going to happen now. So I'm left yet again. I've been trying for 15 years, and here's where I'm going to be honest with you, and this will pee a lot of people off. It will also, you know, show unflattering characteristics of someone, you know, especially for Americans. But I'm tired. I feel so beat up. I've been trying for 15 years. I've been on this roller coaster of amazing highs, but unbelievable lows. And quite simply, I can't really do it anymore. I'm sorry. I just, I just can't. I've always, you know, I love the gym. I know that's shocking when you see me in the way I look, but I've lifted a lot of weights in my time. And one of the things we used to always ask ourselves in the gym, and it was always asked with attitude. It was always asked, like, you know, to try and inspire. You know, you'd be lifting a lot of weight, you know, and you'd be benching reps and you'd be struggling. And you'd be like, oh, up. And then you'd be like, are you done? Are you done? And you'd be asking it with attitude because the answer you always wanted by asking that question was, no, I'm not. I'm going, give me one more rep. Are you done? No, I'm not. One more rep. Come on. Come on. Well, I always ask myself that question. Every time I've had a really bad low with Reds moving to your country, I've looked myself in the mirror and went, are you done? And sometimes the answer would be, oh, I feel like it. But eventually it would all be, no. I'm going to find something else. Look, I need to be there. I need to get there. I will find another way. And eventually that answer would always be, no, I am not done. I'm not even getting warmed up yet. I will find a way to get there. Well, after this recent disappointment, I looked myself in the mirror and I said, are you done? And the answer was, I think so. I, I, I think so. But because I don't judge a lot of things on gut reaction, I, I tend to be more calculated, more reasoned, more logical. But okay, let's just see. And instead of normally happening, what normal happens in my prior downs would be, I think so, would have turned into, no, let's keep going. There is another way. But because this time I've literally got to the point where I'm struggling to get over there to offer my time for free as a volunteer. That would be for a year, max, or as long as I could afford it. It's not a ter- permanent solution. 
This time I looked and I searched and I crawled and I came empty, up empty. And that answer from I think so has turned into a yes. Yeah, I am done. I am done. Here's some truth for you. And here's why I am done. Because I looked around at the, the landscape that I see right now. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is not for a sympathy. It's not for a poor me. The reason I'm sharing this is because I want to be honest with you. I've always been an open book with y'all about my own life, about my own failings, about how I live, what I believe. I'm not here like some other hosts and some other people going, well, if you just follow me, I'll have you all the answers. No, I've always been, I'll, I'll talk to you about the problems. I'll tell you how I'm thinking, and if you disagree with my logic or you disagree with my reasoning, that's fine. We can have a conversation about it. But here's why I feel like I'm done. Because there is no options left on the table that I will do. Do I see your laws changing? No. I see both political parties playing the American people along with a complicit media to drive up hate, to drive their narrative. But ultimately, the truth about this issue has always been the same. Democrats want more voters and Republicans want cheap labor. I know people don't like when I say this, but that is the truth. I have tried over the years to try and get people to wake up and say, listen, why should you not? Why should you be always anti-immigrant and let the left paint you with something that you're not? Why not actually be pro-legal immigrant? There are many, many stories out there. It's an easy narrative to win. But for whatever reason, and I never got an answer because, hey, I'm nobody who'd answer to me. They don't seem to want to do it. People in the media, the right media, you never hear them talk about legal immigration. You never talk to them, hear them talk about the stories of people spending six, nine months of their life, spending $10,000 plus trying to get into their country, sharing those, those heartbreaking stories. I've tried, but there's only so much I can do. For whatever reason, people don't like me on their shows. Maybe it's because I don't agree with everything they say. But I'm only one person. The way I see your laws right now, the way I see your politics, the way I see your culture, regardless of who's president, regardless of who's in Congress, who holds the power of the purse, who's the speaker, whether it's Republican or Democrat, and who's the leader of the Senate, you are way, 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 way more likely to pass some type of amnesty than you are for changing the laws that would allow me to get in. I'm sorry if this offends people, but that's the way I see it. You have all major candidates talking about some type of amnesty. Donald Trump has been open to amnesty. You've had people like Marco Rubio and other conservatives have been open to amnesty, even openly promoting it. That's the way I see it. I could be wrong. Maybe I am wrong. But I don't see I don't think so. And I don't see it changing. My other options are the usual things, which I would ask you, out of respect, if you have any feelings or connection to me, please don't tweet these to me, because I, I just can't deal with them right now, of marrying someone. Look, you know what? Let me explain a baseball analogy to you of what that is saying to me. Think of the person who's like a really good contact hitter, but maybe hits five, six home runs a year. Literally what you're saying to that person is, go hit a home run. That is literally the way I see it. You know, telling someone who has as little dating experience as I do, hey, go find someone to marry, is just not realistic. 
Also, as a Christian, I'm not paying someone $10,000 to marry me. Sorry. Maybe I don't love your country enough, but I am not willing to violate my principles. So don't say that. Second of all, I'm not going illegal. I love your country. For whatever reason, by hook or by crook, I still love your nation. I still love your principles. So I'm not violating my uh, my oaths, my life principles to get there. As much as I love America, I don't love it that much. So here's where I face myself in life. And this is the question I've been asking myself for the last two, three weeks as I've been thinking about my future. All I want to do is I'm born different. There are many reasons I'm different. It's quite obvious. But I don't have the typical wants and needs of other people. I don't want a fancy job. I don't want fame. I don't want fortune. I don't want a family. I'm not, hey, get married and have 2.4 kids. That ain't me. Right or wrong, that is just is not me. It's not what I want. Here's what I do want. I want to make this world a better place. I want to be able to die whenever that is in a, a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, 100 years from now, whatever it is. No one knows. To be able to look at my deathbed and go, you know what? If there is a period of reflection between, you know, the moment you die, there's, a, there's always this saying, you know, be the minute before you die or the second before you die, your life flashes behind in front of your eyes. I don't know whether that's true or not. But if it is true, I want to be able to die at peace knowing, you know what? I made a difference. I may be, I'm not looking to be, I'm not looking to be the next Gandhi or MLK. I just want to be able to say I made a difference. I reached people. I taught people they could do stuff. I encouraged people. I showed people love. That there are some people who I have touched in a positive way. Right now, I don't feel I have that. I don't think I've done that. And that's what I want. I want to serve others. So my choices are, do I continue hoping for a miracle that realistically will never happen and wait another 15 years? By the way, in 15 years, I'll be in my 50s, which is really scary. Do I wait that? Do I wait 20 years, 30 years on America? Or do I say, look, I wanted to be America. I gave it my best shot. It clearly just is not meant to be. Let's go seek opportunities to serve elsewhere. And that is what I am starting to do. I don't know where I am going to end up, but I started researching some uh, potential opportunities to serve, to volunteer. Nothing has spoken to me yet because, to be honest, I'm kind of in that phase. Let me give you an analogy. You know, when you've broken up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm, st- I'm in this kind of phase where it's like, hey, I still love you and I still really want to be with you, but I need to- we've broken up, so I need to go look at other people. But your heart is still like, yeah, I still love you. I still kind of, you know, everything reminds me of you. So I haven't found anything that said, hey, follow this. But there's opportunities in Israel. There's opportunities in Asia. There's opportunities in Africa to get among the ground and actually serve and help people. I don't know where I'll end up. But I will tell you this. I am going to make a difference. I am going to start serving people. I am going to start helping people and living my life. Now, people who will hear this by now might be, oh, well, look, okay, that's sad. Let's move on. People might be angry or go, you know what, you're quitting, John. That's not the American attitude. You cannot quit. I'm sorry if you feel this way. I'm sorry if you feel I've let you down in some way. I never wanted that to happen. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm just a bum and just giving up. I'm sorry again if you feel this way. If it makes you feel better, think that. But the truth is I can't 
I can't do this anymore. I'm not emotionally strong enough. I cannot go on this roller coaster anymore. I've, I've hit my limit. There are those of you who have very kindly said over the years that, you know what, American needs me. I've always dismissed that. I've always said, no, it doesn't. America doesn't need me. You have a lot of problems, and we're going to discuss them in the upcoming today's show and the rest of today's show and going forward. But the truth of the matter is the American problems that you face right now can only be solved by Americans returning to American founding principles. If I have any role to play, I'll be your cheerleader. You know, I, I don't give myself this moniker because I don't, I don't deserve it. But I, if I were to use a founding era example, I will be your Alexis de Tocqueville. I will be your cheerleader. I will be promoting why you're exceptional. I will be there talking about why you were exceptional and why you can be again. You truly can be a wonderful, exceptional nation. It's in your DNA, I believe. But it must be solved by Americans, not an Irishman. It's never been my job. Hey, I'll fix your country. I'll solve all your problems. No. Your problems will be solved by many things happening. Yes, politics has a role. Yes, who's president is important. Yes, who's in Congress is important. But I believe the most important aspect is education. Not education through schooling, but education through life. And returning to the sentiments that I always talk about on this show, and I say them at the end of every show for a reason. I believe the sentiments of the Tocqueville were right. America is great because Americans are good. That right there is the secret sauce that y'all need to return to. Y'all need to return to being good, decent, honest people. And as a Christian nation... You always talk about how America is this great Christian nation. Well, then you need to return to the principles of Christ. And the biggest tenant of Christianity should be, or if it's following scripture, should be love. When you have love and when you have the success and failure of America been about your people, not your politics, then you are in a healthy position to return to being exceptional. So a few people have been asking behind the scenes, what's the future of the show? If you're really giving up, what are you going to do? Well, before I answer that question for you, I want to talk to you about the world. I want to talk to you about the world we live in right here, right now. You know, there's major changes going on in the world right now. In the United Kingdom, I'm sure if you've been paying any attention to any cable news show, regardless of their left-leaning or right-leaning, you've heard this thing called Brexit. You've heard some updates on Brexit. Let me be honest with you. Brexit is absolutely a nightmare. I don't mean it from, hey, well, this is an Irish point of view, and we're all worried about Brexit and hard borders and soft borders and Northern Ireland and peace processes and Good Friday agreements and trade and all blah, blah, blah. No. I mean, it's a disaster for the political establishment. They literally did not want to do this. 
the political establishment said, you know what, this will never happen. Look, let's just get rid of all these pesky people who don't like Europe. Let's put it to the people. And the people voted. Whether you like it or not, when you live in a democracy, which is what England is and America is not, but when you put it to the people and the people say, yeah, we want out, you have a right, you have a role, you have a responsibility to abide by the people's wishes, even if you fundamentally think it is wrong. That is why I don't like democracies. But if you put a vote to the people saying, hey, what do you want to do about the future of the nation? And they say, yes, we want to leave. You have a responsibility to deliver what you've asked them, whether it was stay or leave. The English people are good people, but they're hurt and they're frustrated right now because they spoke and the political people are not listening to them. And what is happening is you're starting to see voices especially old voices from the past like Tony Blair, say, you know what, we need a second referendum. And I quote, was this is one of the most amazing quotes I think I've ever written, because or not written, sorry, read, was when he said, you know, we need to support a second referendum on Brexit because it will be a, quote, great healing process. I don't know what world he's living in. But the frustrating thing for me is if it goes ahead and they actually do a second referendum... What's going to happen? Will people actually say, you know what? We voted to leave Brexit. We vo- Sorry, we voted to leave Europe via Brexit. We want out. This second referendum is a farce. We're going to double down and make sure we leave. Or will the English people be go, you know what? I'm just tired. I'm tired of it all. Look, they're just not going to leave no matter how we vote. They're just going to do their thing anyway. Let's just give them what they want. Let's just end this Brexit conversation. They don't want to leave. Let's just stay in the European Union. It can't be that bad. Will they just give up? What you're seeing right now in the United Kingdom is Nigel Farage. Nigel Farage is very popular around some conservative circles because, well, he's... Apparently, he's a conservative now, which is something we can talk about in another show. But he does not like Europe. He's a Eurosceptic. He's given, he's given some very good speeches on the European Parliament floor about Europe in bad, etc., etc. If you want to YouTube them, you can find them. They're pretty easy to find. But because of everything that's going on, he set up a new party. It's called the Brexit Party. Now, if you do any research on this, if you Google Nigel Farage's Brexit Party or the Brexit Party... You will not find anything about their party platform. They just want out of Europe. You won't find really where they stand on taxes, on immigration, on healthcare, on role of government, on anything. To show you the influence this guy has and the influence this party has, they have literally started a new party. And they are expected to be the number one party in the European elections. Just think about that. No building up, no gaining momentum. Just, hey, we're here. We're the Brexit party. We want out. One issue, one issue only. And obviously polls are, you know, can be different. And, you know, actually how you vote and what you think you're going to do can be two very different things. And there's obviously still time for the elections to change. But right now, they look like they could take the most seats in the European Parliament. Because it's a slap in the face to conservatives and Tories who have, you know, done bad things. Okay. Let's just park that one for a second. In Spain, they also had recent elections in the last week. And there's many different parties in Spain because it's a parliamentary system. It's not like America where you have two parties. 
you know, in if to give you an, an example of the American system of government that you know operating under how a parliamentary system would happen, you'd have, you know, you'd have the Republican Party, you'd have the Democratic Party, you'd have the Conservative Party, you might have the Black, you know, the Black Caucus, you know, the Liberty Caucus, you'd have loads of little different fractions, but the two main parties maybe to be the, be the biggest. And then different things, and then you'd form a coalition government. Maybe the Republicans and the Conservatives, you know, if they won enough seats, could come together with the Liberty Caucus. That's how it would work. And then if you form a government, then you obviously have all the powers. Well, there was a new, not a new party, but there's a party over in Spain called the Vox Party. It's a far-right party. And because things have been going bad, there's been a lot of corruption with the quote-unquote center-right party and the other parties are very socialist. They had no seats in the last election. The far-right got 24 seats in this past election in the last week. So literally you have the far right in Spain rising, which is always a good thing. You obviously have places like Greece still going on like crazy. You have more violence in France. Macron is an empty suit. Macron has no values or principles that we can see that are obviously glared. Hey, this is who he is. He was voted. Hey, he's the moderate guy. This is what happens when you have crazy people like Marion Le Pen running. You're seeing the far right go crazy in France. But you're also seeing chaos. You're seeing absolute anarchy. People are destroying the streets of Paris, which is a beautiful city. You see the climate change protests happening around the world in, in England. Hey, if I don't get my way, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, you have literally got women gluing their breasts to the streets. You literally have, which I, I did find this funny, I don't know how to say this in a, an American example, but there was this protest, climate change protest, and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to waitrose and we're literally going to just sit in the, lie in the aisles to, to make a demand that we stop doing what we're doing to save the planet. Okay? The reason I'm struggling to come up with an American example is waitrose is where all the posh people shop. It's a very prim and proper store. It'd be like, it'd be like say, you know, I, I can't think of a convenient supermarket that's similar to Waitrose in America. But it'd be like going into like Ralph Lauren. You're not going into like bargain basement. You're not going into Dollar General, where it's like chaos and anarchy and people like you know are, you know, bringing dirty clothes into the dirty shoes into the to the streets. You know, where it's not cleaned. It's just like Dollar General, like cheap. Not being disrespectful, but these places are prim and proper. These are where the posh people live. You choose the place to protest your climate change protest of lying on the floor on the poshest establishment that you can. But you see all this going on. You saw it bring London to a halt. You yet again have more terror fear in Sri Lanka. This weekend, as you're listening to it, this will be the second weekend in a row that there are no Christian church services. Why? Because they are so afraid that the terror alert is at its highest in Sri Lanka. We're not talking like the Middle East here. We're not talking about Israel. We're talking about Sri Lanka. Where they yet again have no masses because of the fear of terrorism. And then the biggest story of the week. Venezuela. The Venezuelan situation. Where you literally have... People on the streets protesting. Where you have a situation where one of the greatest little countries that was going around 50 years ago. There is no reason why 
Venezuela should be in the situation it is in. It is oil rich. It's got resources. It's well located. It's got a great climate. Venezuelan people are usually decent, good, honest people. There is no reason why you have what you have in Venezuela. But yet it's an absolute disaster. You saw this week tanks running over people. You saw people literally doing everything they can to survive. It has hit a boiling point in Venezuela. Why am I linking all these stories together in different regions of the world with different issues? Because the world right now has no principles. The world right now is on chaos. What is the cornerstone any civilization is built on right now? Can you give me any cornerstone? Can you give me any principle? Apart from what man says, we put, depending on what we think, what we do, and what we want to do, and what's popular, you get rid of that principle. Because that's not a principle. That's opinion. That's not a fact. Can you give me anything that world can actually come together and agree on? The world right now is in chaos. Now, what is the answer to it? The answer to all the problems in the United Kingdom, the answers to the problems in Spain, in France, in Sri Lanka, in Venezuela, are all pretty much the same. I believe. Those principles are called, what America said, founding principles of nature's law and nature's God. This belief in the individual. This belief that man deep down, regardless of whether you like him or not, regardless of what race they come from, regardless of what their creed is, their sexuality is, whether they're good looking or bad looking, or whether their education is good or prim and proper that you like, or they don't have an education. All of that is regardless. Man is meant to be free. Man is not some animal that is meant to be harnessed, that is meant to live in some box that some people said was, well, that's where you have to live. Oh, you live this lifestyle, live in that box. No, man is meant to be free. And that there are certain principles, i.e. the laws of nature, that every person has because they come from your creator. Whether you believe as a Christian and a Jew, that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whether you're a Muslim and you believe from Allah. Whether you're a Buddhist and you believe from Buddha. Whether you're anything, it doesn't matter. They come from your creator. The world right now needs some stability. Now the question is, where is that stability going to come from? Because right now you're seeing two extremes. You're seeing around the world, you're seeing hate. You're seeing division. You're seeing far right groups. You're seeing far left groups. And let me be crystal clear when I say this. I don't mean far right and far left from an American point of view. I mean from a typical Eurocentric point of view, where those terms came from. Where the left was the communist and the right was the fascist. When the choice is a communist and a fascist, I choose neither. The answers are a belief in the individual. The answers are letting man be controlled by himself. Letting man seek and pursue their happiness. That is why no matter what happens with my future, I don't know how much longer I have at the blaze. Hey, I don't know. There's new people in church. I have been told nothing. I know nothing. 
This is not some hint at some, you know, deep undercover secret. I don't know. I will be at the blaze as long as they ask me to be. Until the day that Glenn comes to me, or ever who it is, and says, John, look, for whatever reason, your show just isn't popular enough, Let we need to cut it. Okay. Then I'll find somewhere else. But I will do everything I can to promote founding principles. Because America was right. Not today, not under this administration, or the last one, or even any administration in the last 50 years. But America was built on a set of ideals. And I believe the world needs them. Because I believe if the world continues not to hear the set of founding principles, man is meant to be free, you're allowed to pursue your own happiness, you're allowed to keep the fruits of your own labor, that your life has meaning, and that government works best when government is limited and works as closest to the people as possible. I believe if the world does not start hearing those principles again, socialism and tyranny will continue to roll. And roll and get more and more popular. And what will happen is, as those principles fail, and trust me, they will fail. Why? Because they always do. You will start seeing extremes from the other side. Going, you see, that's why you can't have it. They're the problem. Get them. I will give you the answers. And then they will impose their form of tyranny, their form of control. And then they will fail. Why? Because it always fails as well. Left and right is always control. The answer is freedom. We must understand this. We must start promoting this again. But we also must start promoting it in a better, smarter, more unifying way. Let me give you one example. Your founders. Your founders, if you read any part of your founding documents, it is crystal clear, or should be if you understand what they did. That it is heavily influenced by scriptures. Your, your founders, even though some of them, well, they're only deists and they're only atheists. Your founders were crystal clear on America being based on the Bible. You read your founding principles. You read the founding documents. You read the Bible. You would see things intertwined. It is clear it is based on the Bible. Your country was based on two road models. The road models of Moses and Jesus. It's crystal clear. This cannot be disputed. You may not like it. And that is one of the reasons you're seeing attacks on Christianity right now. You may not like it, but it is there for everyone to see. But yet your founders in their wisdom said, you know what? Look, we can base it on Christianity, on Judeo-Christian principles, but we are a land of freedom. We cannot have a Judeo-Christian nation that is not welcoming to all who love that creed of freedom, of limited government. And that is why I believe in their greatness they said started talking about nature's law and nature's God. We need to start sharing principles in ways that are unifying because they are for everyone. Yes, even the most Democrat you hate, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, any of them, they have the same rights as you do. And we need to start promoting this. Because if we don't, we are all going to fail. But I believe we win. I say this for two reasons. One is easy because I'm a Christian and I believe in the Bible. But secondly, because I believe man is meant to be free. That deep down every person wants to be free. And if we start sharing that message once again... 
Yes, politics has a role. Yes, politicians can share this role. But through our people, if we can start empowering people that says, you know what? I don't have a right to tell you how to live. That message will catch on again. It will become popular again. And then once again, between all of us, between politicians, yes, between the media, they'll all have their role to play. But the biggest change will come in your people. Where once again, America and other countries can be the beacon of light for the world. Not because we tell you what to do, but because we show you. You are the beacon. You are the statue of liberty. Shining liberty for everyone to see. That is what I believe we must do. And for as long as I have a voice, as long as I have a microphone, that is what I will do. Because... How could anybody else who claims to love and want to serve do anything else? How could I? How could I see the storm clouds that I've just laid out very quickly for you? And then go, yeah, but you know what? Screw it. I'm, I'm, I'm going away. I may want to. I may be tired. I may be frustrated. But how could I? I have to do my part. And then you have to do your part. That is what we all must do, I believe. And I'm going to do my best to continue to arm you with the principles of America. And you may agree with some, you may agree with all of them. But you will find out if you listen to this show and you bring your friends to this show where you stand on the issues. agree or disagree with me on this show you can get in touch on social media i'm on twitter freedom disciple uh, facebook jonathan don 58 if you agree with me or disagree with me let me know i want to finish up today's show by talking to you about three different but unique conversations i had this week and i want to talk to you about them not to say because i'm in them or other people are involved in them this is not about that this is actually about the conversations principles and just what i want you to do is as i'm sharing the stories of the conversations, I want you to just think about how they'd be received by people on your side, but also people on the other side, quote-unquote. Because what you're seeing right now is tribalism. What you're seeing right now is the, the fruits of it's everyone else's fault. There's certain principles I love in America. One of them is called self-responsibility. This fundamental idea that you are responsible for your actions. Look around at the culture today and look around even at the media, politicians, at churches. Who actually talks about self-responsibility? Honest question, where do you see it? Do you see anyone going, yes, I do this? Do you see anyone ever talking about your their flaws? And say, hey, look, you know, this is why I am not a perfect person. Conversation number one was done in private, and it was actually by a quote-unquote democratic socialist. And I went, this is going to be interesting, because they said, listen, hey, I listen to your show, I listen to it not because I agree with anything you say, but kind of for, you know, what the opposition is saying. I'm like, well, I'm not really the opposition, but sure. And he went, I want to have a conversation with something that you talk about. And I went, let's go for it. And he went, I actually respect that you actually called out Trump a while back on the desk and you called out your the Republicans on it. 
I actually disagree with deficit spending. I don't like that we're putting the country mega, mega trillion worth of dollars in debt. And this person was very, very worried about it. Here's the difference where we came across as we discussed our differences. We found common ground on debt is bad. That Congress should not spend any more money than it has. The difference was, how do you stop that? Mine, obviously, is constitutional, limited government, Article 1, Section 8, you know, etc., etc., etc. Government spends way too much money than it should. Therefore, if you just reduce that and then reduce taxes, then you get in line with a balanced budget. You pay off the debt. Simple. That's a very simplified version of my plan. This guy, person was like, you know what, the problem, I agree with you on debts, but the problem is actually where we disagree is not on your plan. It's we don't tax enough. We don't take enough of other people's money. We need to tax more. We need to tax the rich more. We need to tax millionaires and billionaires. We need to tax corporations who move money overseas, etc., etc., etc. You get the usual democratic socialist lines. Now, that conversation was interesting. Number one, first of all, I'm always happy and thankful when I, when I even debate people on the right, when it's an honest, respectful conversation. Because there's a fundamental foundation there that, hey, look, we don't have to agree. We may see the world very, very different, but I'm not your enemy. How would that conversation be reported or discussed or analyzed today in the culture? If you sat down with your friends and had a conversation with a democratic socialist, how would it be responded to? What would the typical response be? Ha! You can't have a conversation with them. They're a bunch of morons. Then how would you talk about the that you actually had common grounds? Yeah, you disagree with the function of government. Yes, you disagree on the constitutions. Yes, you agree on disagree on spending. Yes, you disagree on taxes. Yes, you disagree on a load of other principles. But you agree on one: the fact that debt is bad. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, or is that just something to be swept under the carpet? Honest question. Would you actually go, hey, look, we can build upon that and continue conversations and build everything that you have on the foundation of dead is bad? How would you have that conversation this week? Would you be more open? Would you actually go, you know what, we actually have an honest conversation and that's good, or is it a waste of time because I didn't convert him, quote-unquote, to my point of view? Question. Second conversation I had this week, which is really tragic because it's become so, so common in that so many people that I engage with online on both sides of the aisle said want you to say a certain thing. When they ask you a question, you can see it's kind of rigged to say, hey, you know what? I want you to answer this question in this way, so this is my follow-up. How many people actually go, you know, I'm going to have a conversation, and I don't know what you're going to say, but I'm just going to leave it. And then when you respond, I'll respond accordingly. I had a conversation on a friend's timeline this week about rights and and individual and discrimination and and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Without going into the details, because the details are kind of irrelevant, this person tried to bring it to the most escalated emotional point of view. And if you know me, I don't do two emotions. I tend to bring things back down to a core principle. And I changed the subject matter for this person. But they went right back to the most emotional topic they could think of. 
in this principle to discuss. And when I didn't agree with what this person said, they started to lay the grounds, you're starting to sound like a bigot. Now, truth be told, what this conversation was was about discrimination towards blacks and about whether they should have a right to purchase stuff in a store. I made it about Irish people because, you know, I can, I'm an Irish person. I can talk about the Irish experience. And there was a time in American history where what happened, you know, Irish people were not exactly welcome. There was signs in stores in, in America where it said, no blacks, no patties. Now, here's the frustrating thing about this conversation. This conversation did not end well. Truth be told, this conversation ended with me blocking the person. Because I know the signs of where an argument is going to ensue. But second of all, it wasn't going to get anywhere. But third of all, here's the frustrating thing about this conversation. This person clearly thinks maybe that I am some type of bigot. I despise racism. I think if you look at someone, and I don't care what race you are, if you look at someone and don't know anything about them and automatically make a prejudgment based on the color of their skin, I don't know what to say. I think you're an idiot. There's nothing they can do to control this. Now, you may make a prejudgment of what they're wearing, you know, what the way they're walking, you know, their, their appearance. Sure, okay. But judge a person by the content of their character. I say this as someone who racism openly, and I openly admit this, is something I don't fully understand. I grew up in Ireland where it was as milk toast white as you can get. But racism wasn't an issue because I know this because as I was growing up, people were heroes and were icons to people like me who were black and we never thought anything of it. Two of my icons growing up, who I literally adored, were Bill Cosby. Yes, I know, we can talk about how bad a person he is and, you know, and all the modern, what we know now. Okay, got it. But the second one was Michael Jordan. The third one at a later time was Tiger Woods. They changed life, family life on TV for me, Bill Cosby. Basketball. Basketball was cool because of Michael Jordan. And... I know I'm a Knicks fan now, but back in the 90s, I was a big Bulls fan. Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. I know Dennis Rodman in 2019 is different, but in 1990s, he was cool as hell. Dennis Rodman was awesome. Didn't see any difference. I didn't see, hey, there's a black person. I didn't see Michael Jordan. Hey, there's a black person. Aren't they good? They're a really good basketball player. I saw a basketball player who was phenomenally talented and was cool as hell to me. Likewise with Tiger Woods. Remember we seeing him win his first Masters. I didn't go, well, there's a black guy winning the thing. No. I'm sure there are people who are more open and more understanding, quote-unquote, of racism. But I just didn't see it. I've never experienced it. I just look at people going, you're a person. I'm very ignorant about that. I don't care. I'll know if you're good or bad or nice or chatty or quiet or whatever. But your race, don't care. Now, the frustrating thing for me is because it's become like this in politics so much. This person, because I did not say the same thing he did, I was a bigot. We both said racism is wrong. Yet, because I didn't agree with his government-based solution, I was the bigot. How many times do we do this in conversations about race, about politics, about everything? Because you don't agree with everything I say, you're automatically the enemy Even if we agree something is wrong, but we have a different solution, 
My solution is never going to be government-based. I'm sorry, which annoys a lot of people. Well, we got to pass some law. No. Yeah, we got to. No. Well, we got to. No. Sorry. You can say I'm a bigot towards government. Maybe that might be true. But when it comes to stuff, I will look and kind of go, as a Christian, and I'm informed by my Christian, that, you know what? You change things. You make the argument. You make society better. Not government. But the fact that this guy would not agree 100% with this person's assessment and solution, I was the problem. Therefore, by his words and his actions, I am now the exact same person as the bigot. I'm in that box, quote-unquote. How many times do you see this in politics? How many times do you see, hey, well, you're a democratic socialist, or you're a democrat, or you're a liberal, bam, you're in this box. And it doesn't matter whether you agree with Bernie Sanders or not. This was the easy one to use. Hey, you're a Democrat, so you automatically agree with everything Bernie Sanders says. I know lots of Democrats who don't. I I met one Democrat in my speech in Texas who was a JFK Democrat, and I was like, wow, you still exist? Yeah. They don't agree with socialism. They just happen to believe in more welfare than us. Okay. But how many times do we put people in a box because they do not say what we want them to say? How many times do we put people in a box because they don't agree with 100%? How about if we say we can find common ground? Is that worth it? Or is it just, you know what, let's just burn the whole house down. If you can't agree with me 100% or nothing. Third conversation I had. And this one is, I'm going to get more close to home because it's about Christianity. We had a, I had a conversation with someone about love. And I don't mean free love, man. No, I don't mean that. I mean actual Christian love. This person's a Christian. I'm a Christian. Both talk about God. Both talk about Jesus. But totally different outlooks. When you actually just talk about the labels, hey, believe in God, believe in Jesus, believe in love, yeah, exactly the same. When you actually start talking about actions and how people act and defending, it came up about politics and the media and stuff. I'm like, we're totally different. How is this possible? One of the things I think we need to admit, and this is just my opinion, but we have to admit that we need to start from scratch. We need to literally go, you know what, there is no truth anymore. That we're not a, we don't see the world the same way. And let's start having conversations again about different things and building that truth that is self-evident. That there is, you can have two people even who have the same ideology, but can look at something totally the, totally the same event, but have totally different and polar opposite views. If we don't understand this, we have to have, I don't know how we can build. We need to actually start finding our cornerstones. I don't mean this as an American point of view. I mean this as a Christian point of view. I mean this as a world point of view. What are our cornerstones? What are we going to build upon? Because right now, our society is going crazy. I spoke about in the last segment about how all the problems in like Brexit, in France, in Spain, in Sri Lanka, in Venezuela. What are your cornerstones? What can we build upon? What icons do you want to build upon? America historically has answered Moses and Jesus. Is that the same or is it changing? Do we replace Moses and Jesus with a man? Do we replace him with George Washington? Do we replace him with Donald Trump? Do we replace him with Barack Obama? Do we replace them with our parties? These are the questions we need to start having. And we need to be intellectually honest. Because here's the truth, and I believe it on all sides. You have to have credibility. 
that democratic socialist I talked about, he actually said, you know, you're consistent on that. I'll give it to you. Thank you. I am consistent. I will be consistent because the principles I talk about never change. That is why your founders and America is exceptional. That people hold say, why do you hold on to the American principles so much? Because they are consistent. Whether you agree with them or not, they are consistent. Your founders would have said the same thing today. The Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. These are our principles. We need to have conversations that were, may not like the answers. The, the question in America today be, hey, do you want to follow the Constitution? The answer may be no. But here's the ultimate question for you. Let's say for one second, because I, I don't believe this, but let's just play devil's advocate. Let's say that we ask that question to the American people. Do you want to follow the, the Constitution? Do you want to follow the Electoral College? And the American people come back and say, nope. Which do you want to live in a world? Do you want to live in world A where we don't ask that question, where we all live in ignorance, where we're all like, you know what? No, let's not ask that question. We just all accept that America wants the Constitution and the Electoral College or whatever example you want to use. And we never live in ignorance. We never know. And then eventually some major event happens and it just goes away. Or do you want to have an honest conversation and go, hey, do you want this? And the American people go, no. And then you can actually go, well, why not? How about we learn from each other? Why don't you want to follow the Constitution? Why don't you want to follow Article 1, Article 2, Article 3? And then let's meet their objections. Let's listen to the Democrats and go, okay, what's your solution? What do you not like? Okay, great. Can we find common ground and then make the case? Because that's what I'm going to start doing more of. I want to start doing, I want to defend the Electoral College. I've been, I'm try, I'm try, I have an argument that I want to share with you, but it's not perfect yet, and it's not right. But I will be sharing it in the next week or two weeks of why the Electoral College is critical and why it makes America different. But we need to start making these cases. There's three conversations I've had in the span of six, seven days. What way would you deal with them? What way would society deal with them? Because here's the full circle for you. Guys, I'm not going to be an American, so I don't have to play the game. I never did, but I definitely don't have to do it now. There are certain things I will never, ever tolerate. I don't care who is them, who owns them, what side holds them. I believe in the message of Jesus. I believe in the message of love, and I will continue to promote it. I will be your biggest cheerleader. I will be the biggest cheerleader for certain principles, for the rule of law, for limited government, for the Constitution. But I'll also be a cheerleader for the idols that were Moses and Jesus. I ain't going anywhere else. I'm not going to start all of a sudden embracing, yeah, you know what, you can hate everyone. Let's go crush our enemies. That ain't going to be me. I hope you will consider joining me for the ride. The show is back growing, which I'm so delighted to actually see, to reach more people. This is not about money for me. I don't get paid. I never will pay, get paid. I don't want it. But I want to start having conversations with as many people as possible, not in a way to tell them what to think, but to give them the questions and let them find where they may. You may listen to this go, I want to crush my enemies, John. Okay, then we're different. I want to crush evil ideologies. I want to crush socialism. I want to crush communism. I want to crush man's law. But I don't want to just crush it and then have all my focus on crushing it. Because what happens when you crush something... 
You have this big void, and it needs to be filled. I want to crush it. I want to defeat these evil ideologies. But as much as I want to defeat them, I want to replace it with not man's law, but nature's law and nature's God, and the principles of freedom, the principles of love, the principles of limited government and free markets. You guys have the answer. You just need to start remembering it. And that is what I'm going to do each and every week. I'm going to do my best to remind you as best as I can and with as much passion as I can. And with this, uh, with this sexy accent, and hey, if, 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 if needs be, the, the French man might come out. Uh-huh, I'm Alexis de Tortville, and America is great because Americans are good. That was a really bad accent, actually. I lost. I don't know what accent that was at the end. But that's what we'll do. As always, we finish each show the same way. By saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, your vets, you know, men and women who actually risk something, who are actually heroes, not on a movie screen, not in Captain America, not in Marvel Comics, not in politics, but the men and women who serve. And lastly, yet again, I always remind you this, if you hear nothing from this show, hear this, America is great because Americans, that's each and every one of you listening, are good. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you all have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. 